I think we're going to war for real. I'll tell you one little story that I probably have never told anybody before. We got hit with a NVA sapper company supported by infantry. It's not easy and you know, that one was tough, but fortunately it worked out for us. Welcome to War Stories, conversational military history. A quick note before we get into today's episode. Sayer and I are working on growing the show to make it a better and better product for all listeners. And one way we're doing that is through Patreon. War Stories patrons get early access to all episodes, patron-only shows, and some behind-the-scenes access as we plan out future episodes and guests. If interested in supporting us directly, the link to do so is in the episode description, or you can head to our website, warstories.co. And as always, thank you all so, so much for your continued support. This episode is brought to you by Jill Hare. LMFT of Free Flow Counseling, proudly serving veterans, first responders, and their loved ones. Learn more about Jill and her work surrounding PTSD and trauma recovery at jillhair.com. All right, what's going on, everyone? Preston Stewart and Sayer Payne with War Stories, joined today by Austin Knight. Austin, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, this is awesome opportunity. All right, so um, would you mind just giving a quick background on yourself, uh, where you come from, what you're doing today? For sure. So uh, I grew up in uh, Northern Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati. And I lived there my whole life. Uh, it's a great little place. And uh, I went to Bible college there right out of high school and uh, became a pastor at a local church and served there for a little while and uh, transitioned into the military three years ago. So uh, tomorrow is actually my three-year um, anniversary of joining the military. So uh, three years ago on this day, I was... Uh, on a bus headed to Fort Benning, Georgia, Sand Hill to do basic training. And uh, it's funny, I tell people I would do it all over again. Uh, the the whole basic training thing, I think once you know what's going to happen, like it's fun. You do it all over again. So I, my brother-in-law went to Bible school down in Florida and my father-in-law was a pastor. Oh, Methodist. awesome. Yeah, recently retired. Awesome. Yeah, good for him. Hopefully he's uh, chilling on a beach somewhere and enjoying retirement. So. He's hanging out here in Murfreesboro. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so and I'm in Cincinnati right now. That's where I mean. I'm, not really? from, I'm from Southern Ohio, but I live in Cincinnati now. Okay. Are, are you yeah. a big Bengals fan? <laughs> I am. I, I've been a Bengals fan sort of my whole life. I, so, we might be not the Browns, then. right? I'm more a Cleveland yeah. area, so okay. not the okay. or I'm sorry, Cincinnati region, not Cleveland. Yeah, for sure. It, well, uh, have you had Skyline Chili? Of course. Of okay. course. Three way, four way, five way. Which way do you do it? Coney. I get the dogs. A Coney. Okay. okay. I get the yeah, dogs. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Preston, if you've not had Skyline before, man, I'll get up there. Out. I'll get up there. <laughs> hey, we, um, I feel like I always heard the term chaplain's assistant. Is that the same realm that you're talking yes. or? Okay. So, um, yeah, a ministry team in the United States Army is composed of two people. You have a um, religious affairs specialist or NCO, and then you have a commissioned chaplain. So a commissioned chaplain, you have to have a master's in divinity to do that. So that's why I wasn't able to go that route. Uh, but uh, chaplain assistant was the old name. And uh, they changed it in 2015 simply because uh, our jobs are a little bit different. Uh, when you get the term assistant, you kind of think of uh, someone getting coffee or, or printing off papers or something like that. Uh, but our role is is within the unit. And uh, sometimes we partner together with the chaplain. And sometimes we kind of uh, can go off and do our thing and, and do ministry as we see fit. But uh, 
together. We, uh, when you can join them as a team, uh, it makes it a lot better. And so, yeah, the term now is religious affairs NCO, and uh, that's what we roll with. Dude, that's such a unique role in the military. We've actually had a fair amount of people ask questions about it, and I never really feel qualified to talk about it because I feel like each chaplain that I've had has been different and unique in their own. Well, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And they've all, depending right. on where they are, you know, we had a chaplain in Afghanistan that served a very specific role. And we had a chaplain when I was in Texas who also served a very specific role, but like totally different. Um, yeah. Could you just talk a little bit about what is it the chaplains do in the military? Cause it's a lot. Yeah, it is. And I will tell you that uh, being a part of the ministry team is probably, well, in my opinion, it's the secret of the army, right? Because some days you could be an 11 Bravo per se and, and tagging along with those guys and doing their stuff. Some days you could, depending on what unit you're in, you could be a tanker one day. For us in this uh, situation, we're jumping out of airplanes at the airborne school because we kind of mold to what our unit is doing uh, because our goal and most chaplains goal uh, is to spend time with his people. And, and um, the way that the chaplain corps looks at it is relational ministry is, is one of the best forms of ministry. And that simply just means like spending time with people. So that way, if something, um, God forbid, happens, uh, hits the fan, then they have a relationship with that chaplain. Um, and they're able to uh, work through that together. And so it's, it's a lot different than going to see a counselor or, or, um, or somebody that you just don't know or have a relationship with. And so uh, that's the beauty of it. it. It really is like bring your pastor to work day. And uh, so um, as, as your uh, brother or your father-in-law would say that uh, um, sometimes in the church, you get secluded, right? You, you surround yourselves with like, like-minded people and, and believers that believe the same thing as you. And that's wonderful. And the church, local church is important. Um, but the real ministry is happening with the, with the people in their everyday lives. And so that's the beauty of the chapel cords, bring your pastor to work day. And, uh, that's, uh, it's been a refreshing form of ministry because you get to see people from all forms of lives, uh, life. And it's, uh, it's been a blessing for sure. I, my personal take is, yeah, it's chaplains, you got, you guys are like special people because you got to have, I don't want to say thick skin, but man, the stuff you got to deal with, because you're right. It's not a bunch of, it's not a, within the four walls of a church where everybody like, yeah, this is my thing. And I believe it. And I believe in my whole life pretty much. And yeah. we're all here. You're dealing with everybody. Like you said, 11 Bravos and uh, just, especially at airborne school, all sorts of people, some probably fresh out of basic, some with more experience. Yes. But either way, all walks of life and whether and all uh, thinkings when it comes to religion or philosophy. For sure. And so you have to interject among that. Maybe some people are salty about certain things or not. And to be this approachable person that can relate to everybody is a true human skill to have, to be able to have those sort of conversations with people to where they're not put off, right? Yes. Regardless of whatever you believe or they believe, just this sort of uh, making people feel welcome, which I think is important in a, something like the military when it is a group of people from all 50 states, all races, all creeds, all sort of coming together. Um, we got to keep that glue tight to that team yep, that's being for sure. For sure. And two parts to that that I was thinking when you said that one, um, you really don't understand the freedom of religion until you are put in a position where you're surrounded by uh, people from all faith groups. And as uh, the chaplain corps, we have to, regardless of what our faith background is, we have to, we have to allow and support uh, each individual student to practice their own faith. And I think that's a beautiful thing, right? You don't really understand the value of the First Amendment uh, without seeing that, right? And so, uh, for example, we just had a, um, 
uh, Ramadan just passed through. And uh, that changed uh, the way that a lot of airborne students are going to uh, go about their everyday lives. They're, they're fasting, essentially. And so we have to be experts on that uh, in order to be able to tell the command team, hey, this is the best way that you you're making the decision, but this is how we're going to advise you on making that decision. And uh, and I think that's important. And then second, uh, it's important for my own faith. It helps me grow my own faith, understanding other people. And uh, but also when you grow up in non-denominational uh, Church of Christ, whatever it might be, um, you and, and you're a pastor in that in that setting, you don't really feel like you have the freedom to uh, challenge your own faith. And when you challenge your faith, you grow your faith, right? And so one of my really good friends, he's an Orthodox chaplain. Uh, Orthodox um, Orthodoxy is something I've really never heard too much of uh, here in America. And, um, and I think it's fascinating. It's growing me and, 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 uh, and we have great conversations from that. I wouldn't have never had that in the church. But then also on the other side of that, um, when people are out inside the church, they almost feel like they got to put their suit and tie on and look and present themselves in sure. a way that they may not be realistic, authentic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they, and that's terrible. You should be able to be able to feel and be yourself. And um, here in the army, they don't care. You're going to hear every, uh, every crazy story you can imagine. And that's wonderful because we get to love people where they are. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. Well, and also, I mean, that kind of is going with what I'm saying because you're going to hear the raunchy jokes. You're going right. to hear the the foul language that right. is just not said in those sort of buttoned up suit and tie environments right. where your mom is dragging you by your ear. Yes. And it's, and it's wonderful. And, uh, um, yeah, ministry is not a microphone, right? It, it's not uh, stand up on stage and preach a 40-minute sermon. It's uh, it's literally spend time with people where they are and meet them where they are, um, however they are. And um, I don't know if I would have understood that without Army ministry just shaping that for me. That's uh, I'm thankful for that for sure. Something I feel like any chaplain or chaplain is – so I've mostly interacted with a chaplain, whether as a battery right. commander, right? And um, something I always thought was interesting was – they never led with religion. So like they were always just there talking about anything, asking questions, just like a normal guy R rank was pointless. I mean, it didn't matter what they right. had on their chest. Um, but I don't remember a single time they led the conversation with anything religious, unless it was, we're having a service at this time, like putting out an announcement, right. um, which is the opposite of what I've always kind of had in mind when it comes to, um, people that that are in the religious profession is that the right way to say it right yeah yeah for sure yeah it's it's pretty cool it's impressive um it's like having somebody in your corner at all times uh i don't know yeah and uh yeah so the um chaplain corps is the only two people in your unit that is uh complete confidential so um you could tell me or somebody in my unit could tell me the worst thing in the world and it is completely confidential and that just adds a level of respect i can't tell I can't tell their wife. I can't tell the battalion commander. I can't tell anybody. So that that's very helpful. But um, what you're talking about before of not leading with religion is uh, we're not street preachers. And the, and the quickest that we realize that the quicker we realize that, the better. And um, that's um, for me, there, there's scripture in Matthew that says, like, live your life in such a or it basically live like uh, a lamp on a hill, right? They can't be hidden, a light that's shining, right? So live your life in such a way that people will then ask questions. People have to give you permission for you to tell them 
why you're different, right? Why are you living your life in a different way? And uh, we have to be an example of that every day. It's challenging for sure. I, I make mistakes and, and uh, let myself down, but also um, knowing that there's grace involved, but also letting people in. And um, when they ask a question, when they give me permission to be able to share my faith with, faith with them, that's when we're allowed to. But if you're going to go up there and, and yell it at the mountaintop, then not always uh, people are going to be as receptive. How did that feel transitioning from sort of, and I don't want to say like ego, but yeah, you, you like, you know, you went to school, got your college degree, then you were a pastor, right? That's sort of like CEO yeah. sort of, um, that is the preacher up there up front. Everyone's looking at him spotlight. And then you sort of gave that up to go right into as an enlisted guy in basic training where you go to basic yeah. training with everybody else. And I know you said you, you like it, that. but that's a different thing. And you know, your role now, because there is the chaplain is the preacher essentially, right? And you're right. sort of assist. I don't, I shouldn't say assisting, but you are within sort of below the chaplain from a tiered organization, yeah. which obviously military rank and file, of course. So how has that sort of changed or just your attitudes? I had, yeah. I'd have to think that that's affected or it's just a different experience having the pastor experience beforehand. Yeah. Humility for sure. Um, that, uh, that puts you, that knocks you down, which I think we need to, right. We put our pastors on a pedestal and, uh, that's not always the right place for them to be. And they could be the best person in the world, but, uh, a pedestal is not right for anybody. Right. And, uh, so that was, that was great. Right. I was like 23 years old and I was a pastor at a church as, um, as a youth pastor. And, uh, um, but in, essentially I had a flock of, um, 16 to, or I'm sorry, 14 to 18 year olds that were, that were following hundred people or so, but, uh, and their families. And so, yeah, you're right. You, you can almost feel like you're setting yourself apart. And so I really am thankful for the whole basic training environment because it really does. It helps you realize that, uh, that, uh, that may not always be a good thing. And I always said, don't put your pastors on a pedestal uh, even before. So, and, uh, when you get ripped off of it, then it's, uh, a humility, uh, growing experience. And so I'm thankful for that. And so I still have room to grow, but, uh, definitely thankful for the, um, uh, for that perspective. So that's a good, good point to bring up. Well, I want to hear about airborne school I've been through. Yeah. So I just did the five jumps. It's 2007. Um, Sayer has done a few more than me between ranger school and airborne. School. Just one, just oh, on really? the six, six jump, jump. Five oh, nice. and six. Yeah, there we yeah. go. You got some pros here. What's it like, man? Right, it seems right. like you're jumping all the time. Yeah. So, uh, both of you are probably T10 jumpers then, right? The T10 parachute. Oh, I have no idea. 2009 okay, fell, fell out the door man yeah you yeah so you guys are both uh t10 so there's a t11 parachute so it's it's the same course but just a different parachute so um you guys actually have something i do not have i would have loved to jump a t10 parachute there we uh, go. the t t11 is a little bit bigger drops you a little softer so maybe you guys are tougher than me and hit the ground harder that's what i, I mean of course at. when we went through it was harder right anything yeah, that oh, we did oh, it was yes. harder okay so just so you know <laughs> I tell, so the best part about airborne school for me, I, I love to uh, sh I love to make people laugh. And uh, the harness shed is a terrible place, but it's a new group of people every single week. So I could use the same joke every week. And uh, so I tell them all the time, I'm like, man, you all couldn't have made it last week. Last week was harder than this week. And so, yeah, because that's always every school you ever go to in the Army, we're the hard class, right? That's right. Everybody's every got it worse. Yeah. So uh, if you guys came to Airborne School right now, you guys would probably be surprised at how similar it is. Uh, just to kind of prove that point, we so I run the Airborne School Facebook page. 
and I will post a picture of something and uh, somebody from 1974 will comment some funny saying that we said back then that we still say now, for example, the, uh, the 250 foot towers. Um, I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to do those, but uh, basically they set the canopy up in a ring on the ground. Uh, so it's already a fully inflated canopy. They take you up on a winch and then drop you down. Um, but before that, there's a long pole that has to be inserted into the canopy to, to and, and the thing that everybody says is uh, you have to yell, hit the hole pole, man, hit the hole. And uh, so I posted a picture of the 250 tower. Right yeah. yeah. Uh, the 250 tower and uh, some guy from 1970 something said hit the hole pole man hit the hole 1970 and so yeah. we do a lot of the same stuff and uh or you might remember fired up fired up fired up sergeant airborne um that uh that is we still do that kind of stuff but the training in itself has been the same for quite a while and because it's really not that difficult to uh plf or jump out of an airplane and plf um but uh, yeah, it's still three weeks long. You have ground week, tower week, and jump week. Uh, ground week, you're going to, um, well, all three weeks, you'll be running all over the place. I'm sure you yeah. guys remember the, the mm -hmm. airborne school runs. And um, the um, uh, ground week is you're jumping a mock uh, individual exits out of the tower. So the 34-foot tower, you're going to be exiting that one time, um, uh, multiple times, but once at a time uh, to get out and practice just exiting 34 feet and uh, then you're going to be on the zip line uh, sergeant airborne is going to tell you to let go and you're going to practice your plf learning how to how to land on the ground in a gravel pit and uh, then tower week comes along you're going to do the 34 foot towers again uh, but it is going to be um, as a team so you're exiting four at a, at a time and sergeant airborne will give that group of four um, a scenario maybe it's like partial malfunction and you have to react by pulling your fake reserve and and he's watching that and grading you as you go um and then uh the last couple of days you're going to do the fun uh improved swing landing trainer which nobody can tell you why it's called the improved swing landing trainer it's been the same thing forever uh you're going to basically be up on a platform rigged up you're going to fall off you're going to swing back and forth like a pendulum sergeant airborne pulls a string and then you peel up into a gravel pit and uh, that just gets you prepared. And um, for jump week, jump week's five jumps. You're going to run down the harness shed at four o'clock in the morning. You're going to receive a couple blocks of instructions, rig your parachute up at six, seven o'clock in the morning and wait till 11 o'clock or noon to jump out of an airplane. That's what most people remember, actually, more than jumping out of airplanes is waiting Sitting in the and waiting. shed for hours. And so. That that was I remember that because you're cramped everything. You got all that gear on you and it's just miserable. can't talk, can't can't move. Yeah can't talk that's the thing yeah. it's like there are no big boy rules right there are zero in that right. sort of scenario and i just my only memory then from like the rain i did one jump in ranger school and when we were in that moment of the sit around it was actually big boy rules right <laughs> which you don't get a lot of in ranger school at all and we could just like sleep and just be left alone they didn't screw with us and it was actually nice and relaxing so it's just funny because again that was my only jump after air, the airborne school experience at all it was just that one and it was like complete opposite of what i remembered the airborne right. experience you know being yep exactly yeah so, so there's five jumps there. yeah well, well yeah. they um they scared me so much about having that harness tight because it kind of comes between your legs there right <laughs> yeah and, and they said you, you don't want you don't want any slack in this thing because it'll it'll catch and it'll hurt where it shouldn't hurt um or where you don't want it to hurt so i just remember 
ratcheting that thing down. And like, it wasn't cutting the circulation off my legs, but it was probably close. And to your point, we were sitting there for four or five, six hours. In fact, I think we had a day or two where they canceled and we didn't jump at all. We just sat in the harness yes. for nine hours. So <laughs> yeah. my memory of jump week is just being in pain, just sitting there in pain, but thinking I can't loosen this up. That's going to hurt worse. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's uh, yeah, exactly. And boring. We have TVs now and they actually show some, uh, we show band of brothers and stuff like that. So oh, you cool. have something to do. Uh, but you are, you're still in miserable pain with 50 pounds of equipment strapped to you. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've heard when you're talking about cinching the, the leg straps down really tight, the T10 actually had an opening shock that was way different than the T11. Again, I've never jumped the T10, but I've heard stories of people like biting their tongue, like biting their cheeks, their cheeks or breaking their teeth just from that opening shock. And so they said, the more you cinched it down, the, the, the better it was. So um, once you get some jumps Six in, to one. You can, yeah, you kind of feel a little more comfortable and you can loosen those leg straps up just a little bit, but yeah. yeah. How many jumps Hard do you have at this point? So uh, ballpark 130, 140 ish. <laughs> yeah. So uh, at airborne school, we have to verify the carp. So the uh, basically where the airplane is flying uh, in the air, the altitude could be different. This is like Pathfinder school stuff, but the, uh, the altitude, the wind at altitude could, could make you land here or make you land here. Uh, so we do some math calculations to hopefully get them to land in the Creek on prior drop zone or right around the Creek. That's our uh, PI strike. And uh, so every jump has to have a cadre member jump out of each aircraft. Um, and so two of them. So there's four cadre members jumping out of aircraft at a time on a single pass. And I volunteered every time for like my first like year doing this. And and six, seven months in, I was like, man, I might be able to get a hundred jumps, um, which in the, uh, in the airborne community is, is like, we have guys serving 18, 19 years that are coming to the airborne school to instruct. And they're just now getting their hundreds jump after 20 years of service. So I'm very fortunate for sure. Um, but I was able to do a hundred jumps in about a year and a week. And uh, that was uh, as a specialist, it was a lot of fun. So uh, we have a, a plaque uh, in the battalion and uh, everybody's names on there, like Sergeant First Class, uh, Lieutenant Colonel and Specialist. So I'm pretty, uh, pretty pumped about that. <laughs> That's awesome. It's just raising your hand for those opportunities, right? I mean, because yeah, people and, and, get tired of it, but. Yeah, and going back, to, going back to the purpose of joining, right? I wanted to be with our guys. And so ground week and tower week is so structured and you get the job done, you go home. Um, but jump week, there's a lot of downtime. Like you said, Preston, earlier, like there are times that you rigged up and, and waited and then the jump got canceled. And so all of that time I can spend with the cadre and spend with the students. And our primary ministry focus is cadre. Um, so there's just multiple hours of just sitting there hanging out oh, with the guys. And so that's I didn't why- think about that. The, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. That's the main reason I did it versus uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't realize I could get a hundred jumps until seven, six, seven months in. Um, the whole reason I was doing it was simply to um, spend time with our guys. So that is, I'm glad you said it that way. Cause I think Sarah and I were on the same page. I kept, I was having in my mind, how are you forging a connection with these airborne school students? Because I can't tell you if I even saw the chaplain when I was at airborne yeah. school, I don't remember, right. but every time we didn't have to do something, I was trying to sleep or get off base or whatever. I was not, there wasn't, like a unit cohesion time type stuff. You're in right. the school and then you're out of the school. So you're, you're really there for the instructors for the yeah, actual primarily, schoolhouse. Yep. Primarily I'll go through it. And uh, so jump one, I do a jump one prayer. Um, it's a little motivational, like, Hey, this is like how to train your mind to exit the aircraft type stuff. And then I pray for everybody. 
um, beforehand. Uh, either me or uh, Chaplin will do that. And then um, then I'll go through the line and just chat with the guys. And uh, that's the beauty of this job, right? Like my, uh, my, the, my job is to talk to people. And so there's, uh, there's not much uh, reporting on that. But uh, so I just go through the line and ask them where they're from, stuff like that. But uh, very surface level stuff with the students, like you said, when, when the day's over, they're going home or they're going to sleep. Um, but yeah, cadre, that's, uh, that's our primary focus. And parachute riggers. We have the best parachute riggers in the United States Army. They pack more parachutes than anybody in the Army because we jump more than anybody in the Army. So we spend a lot of time with them as well. It's funny because what you're saying to me, at least, just my opinion from being a former officer is it sounds officer-like when, because, well, a lot of officers don't have anything to do <laughs> during some of these training events, right? I mean, they're, you know, NCOs are on task. They got something that needs to be done and, and they're to do it. So you don't want to get in their hair, um, right. letting them carry out whatever they got to do. And so you're just kind of walking around and BSing with guys. Yeah. And seeing how they're feeling and maybe shake some nerves out and just, I don't know, make them comfortable or something, because yeah. what else are you going to do uh, when right. you're there? Like, exactly. And it just reminds me sort of of that quasi officer, what I think an officer should be doing, right? It's just kind yeah. of just smoking and joking with the guys occasionally. To me, that's sort of the fun part. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is neat. And if you ask Sergeant, or if you just read about Sergeant Major of the Army's initiative right now, it's funny because I've heard this story a couple of times, um, but they came to the table and said, hey, our, our slogan is going to be people first, right? Our NCOs are going to be people first. And the chaplain corps raised their hand. And they're like, hey, we've been doing this since 1775. And uh, so they... Uh, um, now the army is is focused on that and the chaplain corps is like hey we actually have doctrine in 7-22 now of spiritual fitness and uh that's straight from the chaplain corps and uh, they're shifting a little bit from like everybody's religious to everybody's spiritual and, and and that gives us authority or um permission to spend time with uh everybody because you can't really argue that everybody has a spiritual being to them it may not be religious religious is is spiritual but everybody has some sort of spiritual being and it's actually in doctrine now. So uh, the people first movement has been great and it's give, kind of empowered us to be like that. If, if that's, uh, that's what you're asking. I, I definitely, I'm glad you said that too, because I always disagree with that mission first people always phrase. And that's the yeah. phrase that they always said when I was in, I don't know if they say it now. And it's like, we just talked to a guy yesterday about um, we're talking Korea and we're talking about the Chinese coming in and how, they, just like we heard about Russia in World War II, it's like where that first wave comes through and they might have, you know, they have a weapon and maybe some ammo, but then they get mowed over. And so then the, the second rank and file can pick up that and keep moving and they get mowed down. They can keep, to me, that's mission first, right? right. That's mission first people always. And so, and we, and when we see that happening from the enemy's perspective, like we, that's not what we do. And so to me, I'm agreeing with you. We've always been this sort of people first mission, always. But it's yeah. the people that are doing the mission. And so like taking care of them so that they are, whether it's being as best you can, rested and, and fed and motivated and confident, like that is actually how you complete the mission. If you just focus overly on the mission, right. you're going to miss the actual people who are doing it. You're just going to sort right. of neglect what that yep. end user is doing. Yeah, that, that's uh, and, but what's harder, right? Focusing on, on the right. mission or focusing on the people and training the people in a way that they're going to be able to respond in the proper way. And 
I think that we've always kind of gone with the easier route, right? It's, it's people are messy. People don't want to care for people. Uh, when you say that you could say that all day, but if you mean that it's a lot more work. And, um, so I'm, I'm glad I, I really do think it's, it, it's a shift in leadership, but right now on the active duty, there are some guys that are, that are pushing back on it, uh, because, um, uh, because it's just not the way they grew up, right? Uh, we do a morals and ethics class with every new airborne instructor, and I teach it quite often. And uh, or with every new airborne instructor that comes in, they have to go through this uh, moral and ethics class. And I always hear the um, the uh, I wasn't I wasn't trained this way, right? Like, this is not how I grew up. And um, okay, well, you're not the leader of who's calling the shots of making us change this way. And you don't have to serve here anymore, right? We have to adapt to what the army is doing now. And, and uh, I I'm buying into it. Chapel Corps is buying into it. I'm buying into it. I think it's, uh, it's harder uh, to care for people in that way, but uh, I think it's worthwhile for sure. And I should have started with this, but to, uh, to give a little top cover here, Austin is, is giving personal opinions, not speaking on behalf of the army, airborne yes. school, chaplain, <laughs> Corps, sure. Department of defense, any stuff yes. like that. hundred percent personal here. For sure. For sure. Both you I, guys. I can say whatever I want. You're <laughs> yeah. both tied to DOD. Um, exactly. I'm very interested, Austin, in a funny story or two out of airborne school because we always heard the rumors when you're going through. We heard a mix. We heard some of the really bad stories, probably like 50% accurate. Um, but there's I'm, the amount of new jumpers coming out of airplanes every week there. There's got to be some crazy stuff. I'll, I'll give you some time to come back to that, though. Um, yeah. I sure. One of the things I was, I was going to say earlier is it's interesting to me how in your role, Austin, and the role of the chaplains, they have to, you have to be open to all of the other religions. And that's something that we as people have fought wars over forever. Right. It's kind of a big change. It's easy for us to just, I feel like it's really easy to gloss past that and say, yeah, just be open to anything. But you're actually the religious leader. And historically, religious leaders have, have helped us get into wars. We as people, not necessarily the United States, but it's a big shift. Yeah, so um, let me paint a picture. We have a, uh, the garrison chaplain here at Fort Benning is an imam. He's, he's Muslim. Uh, he's a full bird colonel, and he's been in the army for, um, well, he's about to retire. I mean, full bird, you're like almost, what, 30 years. Anyways, imagine being a Muslim chaplain in 2001, right after 9-11 happened. Um, and uh, and he took he took a lot of heat, right? He he, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a great time for him to be in the army until they realized they could utilize him, right? When he's um, when he's deployed with the guys, he's able to tell them, "Hey, this is prayer time. This is time that they're not going to be in the streets. This is this festival. This is this time of year." And they really understood that he is the religious expert in that sense. Um, but uh, again, if you want to, we live in a free world and sometimes we don't want to, uh, we want it to be free for us, but not free for everybody. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to see that freedom play out, right? When in 2007, if you're going to wear, um, if, if a Muslim um, uh, soldier needs to wear um, a hijab, like she's not allowed to basically, Um now we have soldiers doing it all the time during PT, right? And uh, uh, that's a that's a wonderful thing. If you want to be a part of a free country, like we have to allow uh, we have to allow that. And uh, just to see the the progress that we've made, I mean, in the last ten years as an army to be accepting to uh, other faith groups, uh, even even down to beards or whatever it might be, 
um, that's it's a beautiful thing to see uh, when it really works. And I hope that the army is a model for that in, in our society. And I think the army has a responsibility to even even if you serve in the army for 20 years, right? That's one fourth of your life, one fifth of your life if you're lucky. We have a responsibility to put soldiers out into the civilian world to be good, moral, and ethical human beings. And uh, and so hopefully we're modeling that well. Um, we have a the army's taken on a responsibility of taking 18 year olds into their care, right? That was six months ago where we're doing algebra. Now they're jumping out of out of airplanes and it's more than just if you're going to say people first it's more than just teaching them how to jump out of airplanes it's 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 also to teach them how to be um citizens of the united states and so um it's such an interesting thing i think it's fascinating so kudos to you for saying that i that's what i that was my own philosophy as well because it's like it's the vast majority of people do get out right we know it's sort of a pyramid in a sense i mean you have lower rank and file, there's more quantity than you have generals and sergeants major. And so most people just do their time and get out. Okay. And then what? Forget about the jobs and, you know, that is important and whatever trades and, and, and everything there. But I would hope that the goal is just interjecting all these Americans with other Americans from all different walks of life, and then letting them have this sort of experience with common purpose with strangers. Right. And then then going out and doing forth good things within their right. own communities, right? Having kids, being a good parent, maybe with some of these lessons learned that, that we've taken in. And, and uh, if it's volunteering or I don't know, but I would just hope my dream, maybe it's my own personal opinion is, yeah, getting involved at the local level. And then just, it's like compound interest of the good. And just, right. and I think it's healthy for America. Just, I think it's, there's something healthy about people leaving their communities and, and, and their nagging parents or their aunts and uncles and that sort of thing. And just getting out of that, but then maybe coming back to just different perspectives and things like right. that. So I say, yeah. And, and both of, both of you guys and, and, and in the army, right. You go back home and you look at your friends that you grew up with and you're like, well, I feel like I've grown so much, but like you're the same person. Maybe that's, maybe that's a bad thing, but it feels like that disconnect. And, uh, and that's a great thing about the army, but we have to make sure that, uh, that we're doing it the right way. And I think like our identity, like where, where it's our identity, is it in our chest with our rank, with our um, airborne wings on our chest? Like, where is that? Where do we find, where do we find that? And uh, the more that we can, um, again, put people first, the better I think that that's going to be right. There's more to you than just your uniform that you're wearing. Right. I feel like you have a license to tell the truth more because yeah, for sure. there's a, there's a problem. I feel like they're always, at least when I was in heavy war time, always trying to get, you weren't allowed to really talk about people getting out. I mean, you're always trying to get them to reenlist. And it was something I always sort of disagreed with because again, most people don't reenlist just from a statistical right. basis. And right. it's not for everybody to do eight years or any, you know, maybe just four is all we were three to four years or something, you know, you give us those years. It's like, thank you. Um, now go yep. off and do great things, but you're not allowed to like present it like that. That's an option. A lot of ways, right. As, as, as a path, the path is supposed to be to reenlist. And so I, I just don't think that that's very healthy attitude. Right. And I think that the army is going to see more of that. I think more people are going to serve eight to 10 to 15 years, right? If you get past 10, they're like, what's another 10, right? You got to do it to, for your retirement so you can get your 20 year pension. Well, now you can leave the army after four years and have a 401k that you can roll into another company, right? Sure. And uh, so, and that started what in 2019. And so you're going to have more people get out in the 15 year mark or the 10 year mark. And uh, 
Um, now you can still serve and get a 40% pension, which is wonderful. It's more than anybody else is offering in the world. But uh, yeah, you're right. We, we are probably going to see more people um, transition um, at other points in their career too, versus just the two or three years. It's easy to get out, get out after three years, right? Um, mm-hmm. But after 18 years, like, whoa, like, I'm going to leave nothing. We'll leave with nothing. So you're at the three-year mark. You're getting ready to move to a new job. Can we say what that is, or is that still pending? So, yeah, I'm hoping to move to Fairbanks, Alaska. And uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of things happening in, the, in, uh, in my life with uh, hopefully buying uh, a ring, a camper, and moving to Fairbanks, uh, Alaska. It's all compiling at once. But uh, hopefully I'll swear in soon and uh, re-enlist and put my name on a piece of paper to do another three years. So. That's cool. We'll That's a, there's a lot of adventure in what you just said. Um, is is what do you, how do you feel about joining? A, it's it's going to be a more traditional army unit, probably a lot more soldiers, right? Yeah, for sure. I uh, I look forward to being. I love relationships, right? Like spending long terms or long times with people. And actually, the first couple of years in the in uh, the army, you can talk to my old old boss, and I hated the change. Like my battalion XO was leaving. I enjoyed the guy so much. I hated him leaving or, or this instructor's leaving or whatever. Now yeah, I kind of get used to it and you understand that it, it's time is limited. Um, but uh, so I, I enjoy the relationships, but the majority of my relationships are with a small group of people, right? We have definitely more students than we do cadre. Um, so I'm looking forward to having the, that relationship with 300, 400 students that are, or, I'm sorry, soldiers that are going to be there for uh, a lot longer in my life and me in their life. And so I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, our, our schedule is a lot more flexible here right now. So I, uh, mm-hmm. I hopefully I can still keep that. I'm not at, I'm not at six o'clock in the morning, salute the flag. I'm, uh, it's a little bit different. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we have a similar schedule, but we'll see. <laughs> no, you will be up at six. Salute that flag. So go ahead <laughs> well, and accept that six. now. Yeah. <laughs> no, before then. Well, yeah, no, you're, right. you're going to be reporting by six. So yeah, yeah, go ahead and get used to that now. It'd be accept it. Sure. Not used yeah. to it, but accept. I would go ahead <laughs> yeah. and prepare yourself mentally that, yeah, you're gonna yeah. be around. It's gonna be. It's gonna be different. So it feels like I'm actually be joining the army, right? Right. It's uh, right now. I don't even wear a uniform that's like everybody else. I wear a black t-shirt sure. most days. So oh, yeah. maybe I'll be a, a real boy and join the army. <laughs> I like a microcosm it. right now. You're on your kind of yeah. like a little bubble, I would imagine. Right. Exactly. For sure. So Austin, we're coming back to it. Any any funny stories, unique stories from Airborne? Yeah, nothing, so I got nothing, nothing about people getting hurt. I don't want to. Yeah, nobody getting hurt. No, nobody getting hurt. Um, so one of the the they don't get hurt, but it's still a little crazy. Um, so when you're when you're walking towards uh, the door of the aircraft, you maintain ripcord handle awareness, right? I'm sure you heard that a million times. And uh, so I got two parts of this, but the new reserve. Uh, when you pull it, it's spring loaded. So it shoots out of your chest and, uh, and inflates, but you're holding your ripcord handle just like this on your chest. And right as you jump out, you twisting it to the side and you're holding it like a hamburger almost. And then you exit, um, every now and then somebody pulls their hand over, rips that ripcord handle, and they shoot their reserve out of the door before their main have been deployed. Oh, wow. So, Yeah. So you're exiting, and what happens is your your uh, main then doesn't have the tension to be able to inflate. And so normally, if if God forbid the main doesn't ever inflate, um, 
you're going to, or I'm sorry, if the main does inflate and they pull their reserve, you're going to see the reserve just dangling there because it doesn't really catch any air. Well, this is the opposite of that. You have the re- the main dangling below them with a little goofy parachute above them. And we're at 1,000 count, right? You exit 1,000, 2,000. Well, they're already out. And so that is the craziest thing that I ever see is, is when they pull their reserve at 1,000. Uh, right ex- it's, like, it's like an explosion in the plane. It's got to be loud and... Yeah, it is. It is awkward and and wild. But I think the parachute, maybe just before you guys, I think you guys had a spring-loaded reserve. Um, but just before you, um, I don't know when I say just, it could be 10 years. I don't know. The old reserve system, um, it, uh, you, you pulled it out and it hopefully caught air, right? Well, if it did not, you had to pull it back in and throw it back out the opposite direction that it was before in order for it. All right, you got 14 seconds in there. You know, you're not going to be reeling this reserve in and throwing it out. So some of these guys that are commenting on my videos saying they're tougher than us, like they might be jumping that reserve because that one's a little, a little sketchy for sure. Is uh, that's just fortunately make, that's just to make people feel good, right? Yeah, you got like, something that's to do on your way to the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that, that brief. So that must have been before our day. We must have had the spring loaded ones. Yeah, yeah. The uh, thank goodness for technology, right? And uh, that's uh, that's a good thing. But uh, so yeah, the the reserve. That's probably one of the crazier things that I've seen. But uh, a funny thing is, uh, we had an airborne stuffed goat. It was like our our battalion mascot. Did you guys have like battalion mascots or whatever in your in mm-hmm. your unit? So we yeah. had this goat. We had this goat, and uh, I don't know where it came from, but uh, we had the stuffed goat. And we, his name was uh, Waffles Meatloaf, something like that. And uh, we jumped with him. So we would pack him in our UPRB and we would jump out of airplanes with him. And uh, he got, he probably, well, he definitely has more jumps than you guys combined. But uh, then we, we sent him to, uh, so our battalion commander loved this thing. Like he jumped with Waffles all the time and uh, he thought it was the coolest thing ever. He would email his other battalion commander buddies and be like, hey, we want to send Waffles over to Air Assault School. So, Air, so Waffles has Air Assault School. He actually graduated Pathfinder School, honor grad. Um, and uh, we couldn't get him into Ranger School. I don't know why, probably physical or something like that, but uh uh, he has his St. Michael wings. He has foreign wings from other countries. And that's awesome. uh, he, yeah, so that's our funny story. He has an Instagram page. Uh, I don't know if it's up anymore, but uh, yeah, he had, uh, he had quite the following. So waffles meatloaf is, uh, is my funny story that I could think of for you guys. So sounds like my, goat. it sounds like a name my four-year-old would give a pet waffles meatloaf. It may have came from a four-year-old. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that's our battalion goat. <laughs> she she just got a fish last week and named it Sprinkle Seed. Oh, great! My uh, my friend has some chickens, and one of them is named French Fry. So yeah, you. yeah, good names. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. We well, just awesome. got six no names chickens. Ch- that is. You haven't named them. Well, my kids have. I they have all sorts of names. One is Sugar. I don't know what the other ones are named. <laughs> Uh, they're still in the box in the house. So I got to build the coop, but anyway, Austin, what's a good place for people to get in touch with you, man? TikTok, Instagram. Um, yeah. So TikTok or Instagram. So uh, yeah, the, t- the Instagram, or I'm sorry, the TikTok story is, um, is wild. Uh, TikTok is, is impressive. Um, I think I've had it for a year and 400,000 followers later. It's, it's awesome. Uh, here we are. Yeah. And um, um so yeah, TikTok's a great a great place to to follow and reach out. Instagram's probably better to reach out. I do have 
quite a few people that reach out and say, Hey, I'm going to airborne school. What are some tips and tricks and stuff like that? Um, and, uh, I, I enjoy responding to as many of those as I can, but, uh, um, so Instagram is a better way to message, I think. than uh, What are than they? TikTok. What are your tips and tricks? Tips and tricks. All right. So, um, Feet knees together, obviously, you've heard that before, but look at the horizon, right? So um, I see, I go out on the drop zone and I watch students all the time. If you look down at the ground right before you're getting ready to exit, you're going to naturally spread your feet apart and reach for the ground. That's backwards leg syndrome type stuff. Like you're going to have, you're going to have some, some injuries uh, from doing that. You're probably going to break a leg. And uh, so if you feet knees together and you just stare at the horizon and allow the ground to kind of surprise you. Uh, I kind of, I tell the students all the time, like it's, it, it's terrible. It sounds, it's kind of like the, the drunk driver, right? Like the guy that, uh, that is drunk and not tensed up is the one that mm -hmm. actually is, is better off afterwards. It's a, it's a similar concept. You look at the horizon, let the ground surprise you and, uh, you're going to hit and roll, uh, just like you're supposed to. And so, uh, that, and then I tell the students in the air all, or before in jump on prayer, the, the thing that's going to happen in your mind, it, it's going to feel like you're going all over the place, but you're going to be uh, waiting all day, like we talked about. You're going to head out to the aircraft, and you're going to think coolest dude in the world. You're like, man, I wish somebody could take my picture right now. I'm getting ready to board an aircraft with a parachute on my back. Like, thank me for my service. Like, this is so cool. And uh, you're going to get on the airplane, and you're going to be like, this is a little different. They're sitting you down, and they're going to take off, and you're going to be like, okay, I still feel okay. Uh, then they're going to open the doors and you'll be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like this, this is insane. I don't want to do this anymore. It's a lot easier to quit. You're going to start thinking about what we went over earlier when we talked about being a jump refusal. And you're like, that's for me. I'm a jump refusal. There's no way I'm going to do this. Uh, they're going to tell you to hook up. You're going to hook up and be like, man, I, there's absolutely no way. I'm just going to tell them I don't want to jump right now. Then the guy with the safety is going to walk by you and you lost your chance. And then they're going to say green light go. And you're just going to get out of the aircraft and you're going to be literally like then look up and see your canopy and be like, I don't know how I just did that. What happened was your training took over and your mind kind of stopped, right? Your training, just what you're the best instructors in the world have taught you for the last three weeks have taken over. You got out of the aircraft and you're like, this is incredible. This is the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. It's It, it goes from really loud inside the C-130 to really quiet, right? And uh, you're like, this is surreal. And you're about to hit the ground and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit. This is insane. This is the worst part of airborne school. I'm going to smash it. Then you're going to smash in the ground. You're going to lay there and say, I want to do this again. This was the most incredible thing I've ever. And you're like, what just happened in my brain? I went from no to yes to no to yes. And, and uh, then you'll do it four more times and you're going to put some wings on your chest. But uh, yeah, those, uh, that's, uh, you, it, it's a mind game, right? You've been trained how to do it. You know, to exit out of an aircraft, that's pretty easy. The hard part is telling your mind to do the hard thing. I, that's the military to me. It's in the mind right. so much. And it is like a roller coaster because I didn't like heights growing up and we're both Cincinnati area. I go to Kings Island as a kid. Oh yeah. And it's like, sure. you're in the long line. So yep. there's a long time to be nervous and you're, I don't want to do this. That's how I was. I don't want to, I always wanted to back out. I don't want to yep. do it. And then you get up to the coaster. I still don't want to do it. And you get in, you start kicking up the top. Yeah. And, and what did I do to myself? Ratcheting noises and everything. And yeah, no, I mean, it was like that. It, my only story was I was again, not liking heights, but knowing I got to do this sort of thing. My first jump, like I was like that. I was that person in the first door, which was like yeah. cool as heck to be. Yep. And Preston was too. We were talking about it earlier. And it was like, for me personally, cool as heck, because I didn't like heights. And 
it gives you time to think about it too, which again, I think is kind of good mental training. Cause when you, I agree with you, when you're like in the line, you're not thinking, you're just going, right. right? You're just yep. going, there's no thinking, there's no time to think, which is a good thing. But right. when you're kind of like just sitting with the door open, like you're watching the ground go and you're like, man, I am up high. And then you start thinking, well, what if the shoe doesn't open? Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. You know, it's just, your mind is doing all of these things. It messes with you. Yep. So, but you I, get that I, tap. I was 100% in that camp of once you're in the plane thinking, how can I get out of this? Some, surely they're going to land. Yeah. Like something's going to happen. Right. And then they start counting off and number one goes in the door. And I was doing the math to make sure that I wasn't number one. Cause I didn't want that. I wanted to just, when you're shuffling out the door, if you're number three or four, like you hardly even stop. You just, you know, you're just going, the momentum is going to carry you. And sure enough, I was after a couple trips back and forth, I was number one. So I, I got to stare out the door. Sayer liked it. Yeah. I didn't like it. I wish I could have <laughs> just uh, closed my eyes and gone, but. Yeah. And, and you, you, when you look out the door, you kind of get a perspective of like, yeah, we're high, we're, we're up there, but like, we're jumping at 1,250 feet, like in retrospect, like just like, that's a skyscraper height, right? Like that's not, uh, not that crazy, not that crazy high in, in comparison to like skydivers who are 10,000 feet yeah. plus. And, uh, so on, on TikTok, people are asking questions all the time. Like, why is it static line? All that stuff, because you simply aren't really that high and you need things to just work and, uh, and it needs to open right away. Way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, the crazy thing is, is uh, reading through airborne like history, the T10 that you guys jumped, uh, there are jumps on record of 500 feet. And at that point, you just don't even wear a reserve because there's no purpose, there's no right? Like you're, yeah, there's no time. Uh, I think the T11, the lowest it can jump is about 800 feet. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you're cutting that in half essentially. And uh, that is uh, crazy to think about. But when you look out the door and you're like, man, this is 1,250 feet. I have pictures out the door where I can zoom in and see buddies on the ground. Like I can't tell it's them, but I, I see somebody standing there. I mean, you're really... Um, you're not in there for very long, even with the parachute. And uh, so I had, I've had a malfunction, unfortunately, but I was able to pull my reserve. I think I was in the air for 12 seconds and, uh, that's, uh, a lot of time. So it's a lot. That was a surprise. Yeah. It was a surprise. The quick drop, like, um, it's a fat, it was a lot. It's a drop, not a float. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and the T10, so um, the, the T10 fell at uh, about 26 feet per second, just to, to make you wish you all went to airborne school later, you were falling about 26 feet per second. Um, the new parachutes about 18 feet per second. So, um, mm. significantly slower drop. And, uh, like if you read the brochure of the T11 parachute, um, their, their way to sell it to the army was it's a larger canopy, uh, which is going to cause you to fall slower um, and reduce the injuries on the ground, bro broken ankle, broken leg, whatever it might be, uh, reduce the injuries on the ground. But because it's a larger canopy, there's going to be more in-air entanglements and uh, basically collide with another jumper. But the canopy is so big now that you, uh, it has the ability to lower two jumpers to the ground at the same time. So during pre-jump now, um, it may have been with the T-10, but definitely now with the um, – with the T11, like if you collide with another jumper, your job is to lower yourself, grab onto the riser and ride in together and talk about what PLF you're going to do. And uh, so there are more in air like craziness that's happening, um, but uh, you're falling significantly slower. Mm. I, I so in that. air, in air is better than I guess the on the ground 
issues it sounds like yeah i see i see uh soldiers all the time i mean if you come out to fire drop zone you're gonna see on jumps two through four uh jump one is a little bit different because you're only exiting one aircraft at a, or one door at a time um on jumps it's called eight up option two so nine jumpers out and then they stop and then the other door goes well um on jumps two through five you're doing a normal airborne operation and you're exiting both doors at the same time ideally with a second offset interval but you're going to meet sometimes you're going to meet underneath that aircraft uh with an unopened canopy um the t11 does a good job of swinging back so you'll watch the uh the as it comes out of the aircraft like the canopy almost like slaps and it kind of just is to get you out of the way. Your forward throw, you're being thrown about 229 meters on a um, on that initial jump out. So it gets you out there. But there are a chance that you're going to collide with somebody underneath the aircraft. And um, but I see it all the time. And and you ideally don't need to pull your reserve. And one canopy will lower two jumpers to the ground. And um, fascinating. Now the the MC6 parachute does not do that. We have another version of the parachute we use. Uh, um, but uh, anyways, yeah. My third jump did that operator air, probably this guy's operator air, <laughs> but I collided with another guy and we did that yo-yo deal down. So we just so frog grabbed a hold of each other. This. Yeah. I heard this for the first time that uh so more experienced guys out in uh Fort Bragland or whatever, they would learn how to control that canopy a lot better and do that kind of intentionally. It was called leapfrogging. And the T eleven does not do that. So I'm not that worried about talking about it but basically you could steer to somebody you would steal their air so if you um if you stole their air you would then fall underneath them and then yeah all the way to the ground and that it was like super dangerous but the t11 uh they prevented that from happening with however they designed the parachute Interesting. But, uh, yeah because yeah, i remember that scenario fun. being taught that and that happened to you preston yeah where someone just, sucked the air out from under you yes we'll say he did it um, well. I don't remember, <laughs> but, uh, we ended up just grabbing onto each other and coming down under one shoe. Oh, the only thing I remember to your point, Austin, is there's no thinking. It's just the training at that point. And right. we, there was no pull the reserve. You just came down under one shoot and both of us got up and walked away. I mean, not even a sprained ankle or anything. It's pretty crazy. It's so yeah. fast. The whole thing is so, that was shocking. The, how fast it was. I mean, cause you, uh, again, your only frame of reference is watching movies, right? Prior to yeah, and, and, and and most people they've only seen skydivers and you pull the brakes and you float right in and you and walk that off. too yeah, yeah. and uh, so you have no idea that this whole idea of of hit shift rotate right when you hit the ground and um, yeah and so the the history of training in the airborne school has they've tried to like uh, did you guys do ankle braces did you guys have ankle braces when you guys jumped. I don't think so. so. Um, I don't know what, I think it was maybe only a couple years they tried this, but uh, they would literally have ankle braces um, that uh, there was, they were putting on every single student and testing out if that prevented um, leg injuries, uh, lower leg injuries. And uh, that didn't work. So they took those away. I think it was before, I think it was into T10, into T11 uh, timeframe. But um, yeah, they're constantly learning and trying to, trying to change how they're doing things to prevent that. But Overall, if you put your feet and knees together and look at the horizon, you're going to, you're going to, I've done it 130 something times, hopefully next time it doesn't happen, but uh, um, yeah, you're going to walk away. Like you said. It sounds like by it, and large the same, you know, at the end of the day, it sounds like probably the same school that's been going on for 80 years. I don't know, 80 years at this point. I mean, there's little nuances, yeah. but it sounds by and large airborne school. 
Yeah, and uh, there's always that controversy of like, why are we still doing this? Um, and my response is like, why is airborne relevant or whatever? My response is to those guys on TikTok, the guys that are making that decision are not commenting on TikTok, right? Like they're ultimately at the end of the day, it is a school in the United States Army that is still there and it presents a challenge for the people that are here. Maybe it's hard, maybe it's a little bit easier for some people, but uh, um, if that challenge is still there, take advantage of it, go, you're going to be thankful for it for the rest of your life, right? Because some of the greatest people that, uh, that, uh, have served in the department of defense of any branch, right. Has come to this place and landed on the same drop zone you did, right? Like, um, I think of like Colin Powell or, or medal of honor winners, right. You see airborne wings on their chest. They did what you and uh, us two have done. Right. And, uh, they, they've done the exact same thing and landed on the same drop zone and maybe even sat in the same bench that you sat in, you know, and uh, that's, I think that's an amazing, right? Just the history of, of the place that you're at. Um, and I wish people, more people would understand that, but uh, there's one airborne school. So I like it, man. That's a cool way to look at it. That's uh, yeah. you've got a unique job inside of a unique place in the army. Um, for sure. Really cool. Thanks for sharing all this Austin and, and best of luck going forward with the new assignment, with the life changes. I'll be thinking of you, yeah. but yeah, appreciate you taking the time today, man. And we'll put awesome. uh, your, all of your information in the description so people can find you. Very cool. Awesome. I appreciate you guys having me. This was a, a fun conversation of, uh, of everyone's school. So in like chaplain court, so we got a little bit of that in there. So it's yeah. always cool to talk to people who are still in and sort of live vicariously through them, at least from my perspective yep. as the non DOD guy. So I still like yeah. to hear about what's going on and sort of that experience. For sure. Well, we're still training paratroopers down here. So that's what I can report to you. So sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. See you, man. I appreciate it, guys. See you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd leave a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, it helps us get in front of new listeners and provides feedback on how we're doing. We'll see you next time.